Welcome to the Nurse Leader Network Podcast with your host, Chris Racinos. Wherever you're going on your nurse leader journey, we're here to help you get there. Welcome, everybody, to the Nurse Leader Network Podcast. I am your host, Chris Racinos. We are super happy to have you here today. We are going to start off by just celebrating National Listener Day. And no, it is not really National Listener Day, but we want to celebrate you, our listeners, for tuning in. We are now going into episode 25, and we are super thrilled to have you here with us. So today, we're going to be talking about something that every single person in healthcare should know about. And unfortunately, they don't. And so you want to stay tuned to learn about everything that we're going to cover around quality improvement today. We have Jarvis Gray, the CEO of Quality Coaching Company with us today. Welcome, Jarvis. Thank you very much, Chris. So Jarvis, talk to us about who you are. What are you up to? You have this quality coaching company. How did you go from like graduating high school to now the CEO of this company around quality consulting? No, absolutely. And uh, Chris, thank you for the opportunity to connect. And um, you've been somebody that I've been following for a while. So um, this is exciting opportunity, but it started off, uh, let's see, graduating high school. That was the summer of 1999. Woo-woo, we graduated um, the same year, okay? We all thought that <laughs> the world was going to end once it hit 2000. Yeah, I know, right? I knew. Well, it felt like it ended. You know, the fun years were over and then we had to grow up right after high school. But I'm from Florida, originally from Miami, but I went to high school right outside of Central Florida. And so had a chance to go back to college, University of Miami, Played ball down there, so had a great lineage of, you know, for me, that entire episode of just playing football at the U had a chance to, I guess, help me grow in my confidence. But I ended up graduating with a uh, bachelor's degree in industrial engineering and went from there into my first job as a project manager with Florida Power and Light, which is the big light company in the state of Florida. That was Actually, my first introduction into quality improvement because Florida Power and Light had a very strong co- culture around Six Sigma project management. They were the first U.S. healthcare, or the U.S. company to win um, the Deming Award, which is an award based out of Japan, but it's all about high quality. The first U.S. company to win that. And so that really started my journey around Lean Six Sigma, but um, moved around just a little bit, found myself in North Carolina working with another electric utilities firm, doing some consulting work. And that was going well enough. They wanted to promote me, wanted to help me earn my master's degree and my professional license as an engineer. But I had to convert over to electrical engineering, which I had no personal desire to do so. So the way that I described that, Chris, is it um, it kind of felt like, you know, if you were dating someone, they asked you to get married and you say no, no, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're like, no, but can we stay friends with benefits? <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> so. So no, that uh, that led me to looking for some job opportunities. You know, my career path at that point was to um, we were in North Carolina, my wife and I, because she was doing her doctorate program at uh, Duke. And so I figured I'd just find a job until we can, she could finish up. I could go back to Miami, open up a juice shack on the beach and a snorkeling <laughs> business. And, you know, I, I was going to live the South Florida lifestyle until I landed up in healthcare. Um, my first job, 2007 at Duke University Healthcare System in the role of a management engineer, which for them is all about quality process improvement, 
FTE, labor management focus, patient satisfaction. So in a very short amount of time, I saw the full circle of you know, what it takes to produce and provide high quality health care. A lot of the research projects, of course, coming through an organization like Duke. And that really had me sold. I, I had no ambition before that to be in healthcare. Um, within my first year, I had jumped into my uh, master's in healthcare management, healthcare administration grad program at UNC. And the rest is history. So since then, I've had a chance to work starting at Duke. I've worked uh, for HCA. Um, wow, I've worked with Emory Healthcare System. I've worked for Kaiser for a period of time. And then um, about three years ago, 2017, more or less, started my own company. You know, I, I wanted the opportunity to have a bigger impact and see if I can take the skills that I've developed as an engineer, as a healthcare professional now for the past 14 or so years, and just have a bigger impact. So through my business, I've coach and train and consult healthcare teams around all elements of quality improvement, Lean Six Sigma, strategy, project management, Baldridge. So I've had had the full scope. Um, I tell folks, Chris, that I'm a one-trick pony, um, but it's a pretty <laughs> good trick. It's a very important trick for healthcare. I think it's one of the most important tricks. I When I was learning about quality improvement, you know, I was asked, I was going through the IHI um, training, and I remember one of the main things they talked about was when you look at like quality, you want to start with um, the circumstances versus the individual. And what we see in healthcare and even outside of healthcare is a lot of times we start with the individual. Um, and when you're starting, you know, you start with the individual and you don't look at, you don't take the system into account, it can lead to not only you losing really tremendously great people. But it can also lead to huge errors because we didn't fix the root cause. And so that's kind of what was my major point of buy-in. Now, I've also made the leap, right? I was working in uh, at Kaiser Permanente as chief nursing officer and then a couple of months ago decided to put both feet into the entrepreneurial um, space. And for me, it was pretty scary. How did you decide like, okay, I want to move? Like, I know why you wanted to move, right? Because you want to make a bigger impact. But like, what was that like? Okay, I'm doing it. And like, how'd you feel? You know, it's still very new for me. So I started my business 2017, um, but only just jumped all the way in two feet myself over the last couple of months myself, um, right at the beginning of this calendar year, 2021. So the way that I've built everything up, though, um, when I started my business, so even starting my business was totally by accident. I had an opportunity to teach um, some Lean Six Sigma courses at uh, Emory University. That went well. I taught a handful of um, classes and the students who I taught, they kept in touch with me and asked me to continue to follow up with them, either through emails and eventually we graduated to Zoom. And then a few of those folks even asked if I would come to their hospitals and just kind of check, you know, check and, you know, coach them up a little bit on site. And then the light bulb started flickering. I was like, I think I'm doing consulting here. <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, so, you know, I took it from there to right after my daughter was born, um, uh, just a little bit over three years ago, I was sitting up one night. It was, you know, midnight, you know, 12, 30, one o'clock in the morning. Normal baby time. Up, Exactly. Right. And I was just like, you know, it was just in the back of my head. And I was like, you know what? Let me start a business. Literally. I, I wish I could say I sat and it was your delirium business plan <laughs> in the best way possible. Right. 
So, uh, so yeah, I went on to LegalZoom and, you know, 30 minutes later, I had an LLC. And so that was starting the business. Now, the three years since then, I've just been growing it. Um, and the way that I've been growing it is continuing to teach and kind of be a contractor with other partnering organizations. I also have my own training program within my business. And again, just slowly building the base, learning, learning everything um, for anybody listening and considering, you know, whether or not to start your own business, books like, you know, the E-Myth Revisited. Those were, you know, books that just kind of helped me understand, you know, the technician in me, the the quality improvement professional knew what he was doing, but now I had to figure out how to be a business owner. I fi- figure out how to be an entrepreneur. And so those are the things that I spent the last three years building. So starting a business, to me, I, I never had any fear what I've had is just who I realized, you know, I've gone from being a very proficient healthcare professional to now I'm like at the bottom of the mountain again, <laughs> climbing up, learning all these new skills, digital marketing and networking best practices. And I'm, I am, I'm a beast on LinkedIn now over, you know, years of practicing now. So that's been the journey. And then, you know, with the pandemic last year, um, so I, I first designed my business to be very virtual. And lo and behold, healthcare leaders liked everything in person. So I was limited with how I could deliver my services. Um, But now with the pandemic, guess what? We're virtual. And so my platform was already kind of created to be virtual. And so last year I had a very successful 2020 business-wise and, you know, talking to my wife and convincing her that this was time, like even in the middle of a pandemic to just go ahead and jump in and see what happens. Um, So never any fear. It's just been learning, constant learning. Like, I can't tell you the last time I just sat and watched TV without thinking something about my business. But (laughs) um, but yeah, just nonstop learning, you know, waking up at three o'clock in the morning with ideas and like, okay, let me make sure I, you know, follow up on such and such. Yeah. So that's been that's been my 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 path so far, at least. Awesome. So for the listeners that like maybe aren't sure about QI or you know, would love some more kind of in-depth around it. Like what exactly is QI and like what exactly does it look like? Like what's the steps or the, you know, pieces of a program for QI in healthcare? No, absolutely. So if if it's okay, Chris, let me, let me break down a couple of things. Okay. Because um, I'll kind of zoom out and say it's not even QI just yet. It's quality. That's the mindset that I want to, that I, that I want to leave on any of your listeners. So First, I'd say every healthcare professional, everybody needs to have a definition of quality. And so for me, that definition is quality is when we can do the right thing the first time, the right way, at the right time for every patient, every time. So that's my definition of quality. I like that. I like it a lot. Can we just add like for the right price, right? It needs to not be like cost a bazillion dollars. All right. Fair, fair <laughs> enough. I, I, I will absolutely add that in. I, so it, right? it, shouldn't. it shouldn't cost and, healthcare shouldn't cost a billion dollars for us to do the right thing. So I sorry, I totally right. cut you off. <laughs> sorry. No, no, but no, that, that's a good call out. But, you know, every I think when every healthcare professional can create their own personal definition of quality, it starts to set a standard. And so then the second thing that I want to leave, you know, you and your listeners with is that it's not about quality improvement just yet again. So quality comes in components. And the components really make up what we call the quality management system. 
And so just like all systems, all systems are a bunch of components coming together to work in one. So the first part of it is quality planning. And so again, your organizations, your individual departments, down to every leader in the organization should understand what's the actual plan for quality? What's the strategic plan for quality? Um, Then there's elements of quality assurance, QA. So how do we make sure the current system provides the highest quality possible? Then the third component is QI, quality improvement. So how do we take the current system and improve it? So that's the QI piece. And then there's quality control. Once we have our ideal state, how do we keep it ideal until it's time to circle back and improve it? And that's the cycle for quality improvement. So have a definition for quality, understand it's a system. There's a few different layers, but from there, there are so many methods for quality improvement. I grew up in Lean and Six Sigma. Um, I'd say nowadays Lean is very, you know, every healthcare organization is saying they're doing Lean. Um, There's a lot of opportunities across the board for how well they may do it, but everybody is definitely on the Lean kick right now. Um, But there's Lean, there's Six Sigma. You mentioned um, the IHI model for change, which is based on PDSA. Um, they're all, they all have the same foundation, which is PDCA, PDSA. And even from there, it's all built around the scientific method that we learned about in grade school, right? So, um, so the foundation is very fundamental, but for anybody just hearing about it for the first time, I'd introduce you to the Six Sigma approach, which is built around a, demo- a model called DMAIC, which stands for Define, Measure, analyze, improve, and control. And so the first phase, define. So what's your problem? Define what that problem is and then measure the problem or really measure the current state, what's going on, and then analyze, which is understand why it's happening, and then improve, which is start to come up with the improvement ideas that you, your team, the organization wants to go through. And then the last part, again, is control. How do you lock in whatever improvement work you did. So that's, you know, a really quick one. But again, there's a lot of stuff out there. But, you know, the foundations are all built on the same thing. Okay, so I, I want to play around here. For those sure. that, you know, they've, they've heard it, they just heard the different steps. Let's play around with an actual problem. So I'm going to say we have a hospital that's having problems with um, sepsis. Let's just say it's sepsis. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's walk through the steps. Like how, what will we do to address sepsis? Well, first you have to define the problem. Okay. What is the problem? So which, how, do, how you know, big do you deepen to like figure out the problem? Yeah. So, so there's first kind of understanding what, how do we even know there's a problem, right? So hopefully in that organization, there is a standard for where that hospital wants to be with sepsis. Maybe it's around, you know, their substance compliance for alerts, you know, within what is it like three hours of mm-hmm. entering the emergency department or something. Um, so I'm make, totally making up, you know, the, the mindset here. But if the goal is to be at a 90 percent compliance for that metric, then they have to, you know, have the capability to track what that metric is. And let's say that current performance is 75 percent. So that now starts to define your gap. Your ideal state is 90%, but your current state is 75. That gap is always the problem that we're trying to fix within the world of process improvement. So now you can define it, 
right? If that gap has existed for the past year, then your problem statement that you will define could be over the past 12 months, um, our organization has performed in sepsis compliance at 75%, which is, you know, whatever percent below our ideal performance at 90%. And the impact of that is that we are, you know, we're killing patients, we're seeing longer lengths of stay, whatever the case may be, right? And so that's your problem. Now, once you define your problem, the second part of that is start to define the goal. So the goal of this project is to improve from a 75% sepsis compliance to a 95% or a 90% sepsis compliance by September 1st, 2021. And so now you have a problem, you got a goal, now you start to build your team and tackle all the components from there. Um, right there in that define phase, you may go through and understand who the key players are, your stakeholders. You may pull together a process map or what we call a SIPOC diagram and understand all these suppliers to the process, the customers, the inputs, the outputs, the process. And, and this sounds big as I'm kind of describing it, but these are very practical tools that can be done. You know, I, I've just done a, many virtual instances of leading teams through this. I was working with a team earlier today, literally on the SIPOC, but um, this can be done virtually. And when it's safe to be done in person, you can rock these out within two or three hours, more or less. Oh, wow. As everybody, yeah, everybody understands what's going on. They're super practical. So that's, you know, minimum just to get started around those areas right there. Um, from there, you want to define your data plan. So what are all the pieces of the process? And then what are all the components of data that we'll want to pull from that process? Sepsis compliance, how many patients per day link the stay in the emergency department before sepsis alert alarm, you know, just whatever. You, you can come up with a small list of, of data to start to track. Again, that starts to set the foundation for what's going on. You want to understand how well that process works and then how, how well or, you know, how well are we performing within the process itself. So our performance and then the process that leads you into the root cause analysis. Now, this is the piece that I'd say scares healthcare leaders more than anything, because, you know, the world of Six Sigma, we're talking about statistics. Um, for the hospitals or healthcare teams that say that they are all lean, this is where I say you're not going to do a very good job if you're only all lean, because lean doesn't force you to analyze your problems as rigorously as Six Sigma does. That's why they're together. For groups who just say, you know, we're only lean or we're only, no. If you're not doing lean Six Sigma nowadays, you're, you're cutting yourself a little bit short. Um, again, my opinion, but it's a pretty well-rooted opinion in my opinion. <laughs> you're like, it's my opinion, so, but it's right. <laughs> it's my opinion, but my opinion is my opinion. Uh, <laughs> um, but no, so, you know, you take it there, you do some detailed analytics, you really get to the root of that problem. And then the fun part from there is actually letting your team you know, sharing with your team all the real reasons why that problem exists, whether it's staffing, you know, just whatever, backups in the hospital, whatever the case is, you're going to come up with a short list of those root causes. And then you let your team loose with innovation, let them brainstorm and problem solve, let them test out different ideas. And this is where lean, I think, is very impactful because lean is all about quick changes, incremental changes. And so, again, this is why you need the relationship between the two. Um, 
once they kind of, you know, figure out exactly what that change is, let them lock it in. And then you have to have that discipline to maintain the gains. And again, that's, that's another area where I say healthcare teams tend to fall off. We don't always pilot as well as we should. I've been on projects where people, you know, by the time I get to the project, they're like, yeah, we've been piloting this idea for two years. <laughs> <laughs> like we're, we're budgeting for this pilot. That's, that's, a, that's a problem, you know? Um, I challenge all of my teams, Chris, that your pilot should never last more than two weeks. Oh, okay. And if, and if it needs to last more than two weeks, you have to sell me on it. Now, you know, there are times where it's necessary, but I'll say more times than not, because the, the whole goal of a pilot is to fail. Obviously, you don't want to risk lives and things like that, but you're testing out a process to see if the process will hold up for a longer term run. I think we get into this mindset, unfortunately, as healthcare, you know, healthcare professionals, because we are perfectionists. We we are problem solvers. We're all type by a. nature. Yeah, that, you know, <laughs> so it, it's in it's in our DNA. We we got this right, but uh, we we want to perfect the problem or the process, you know, instead of testing it out for one or two days to say, okay, I think we kind of worked out the bug, so now we can run it for a month. But so you know, those are some different opportunities, but. Um, yeah, you know, we want to test out the process, then we want to lock it in, lock it in by changing the procedures, the policies, lock it in with updating our training protocols for staff members by purchasing the right equipment, the right technology, whatever the mix of those different solutions are. So, so you go through all that and we've now hopefully reduced, you know, or improved our sepsis compliance, you know, from 75 to, to 90% within a few months. That's, that's the, you know, systematic approach to trying to get there. What are some of the biggest, and you, you mentioned a couple, but what are some of the biggest mistakes you see um, in folks that are attempting to, you know, do the QA or um, like a quality, you know, improve the quality in their facility? Uh, uh, how many you want? I could give you a long list. <laughs> <laughs> what are like the top five or the top like three that you're just like, oh my gosh, if these people would just stop doing this? Uh, so, so for starters, uh, I would say, you know, convincing ourselves that we know the answer before the project even starts. Um, so there's a couple of ways to, to kind of take that first comment. If there is a problem in our healthcare organization, we already know the answer. You don't need a Lean Six Sigma project for it. You just need to go fix it, right? And so that's, that's the first thing. I think we try to, you know, it, it's the, you know, square, the, the trying to fit a round circle in a square hole or whatever the analogy is right yeah. there. Um, I think first, you know, understanding if you know the you know the solution, go solve the problem. Lean and Six Sigma, these are situations where you don't know, you, you have a problem, but you don't know the solution, you don't know the root cause, you need to go through a very disciplined approach to problem solving. Um, so that's you know, just differentiating how you want to attack the problem, understanding that there is a systematic approach to problem solving and sticking to that discipline. So a lot of times. I call quality improvement. I'll use the analogy of weight loss, which is funny because we're talking about lean, right? (laughs) Um, But, you know, if you want to lose that that 30 pounds, you know, it's still early in the new year here. So we're all on this weight weight loss journey. I'm not. I should be, though. (laughs) No, you're fine. So I've been I've been trying to lose the same 30 pounds for a few years. So I, you know, this analogy hits home for me personally. I've, um, I've had baby weight for the last 19 years. I don't know. I, I think it's just going <laughs> to stay with me. 
No, well, not you look absolutely fine to me, Chris. Well, thank you. I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, that that discipline of, you know, eating right, exercising, drinking enough water, getting enough sleep. The formula to lose weight is very, very simple, but we don't do it right. So the same thing with Lean and Six Sigma, define, measure, analyze, improve, control. Like the, the formula is laid out. You just have to do it. You will never truly fail. You will learn a lot in the process and or you will absolutely achieve your goals for that project. But we don't always follow that discipline. So that's another opportunity that I see quite often is that we, we want to skip steps and you can't skip steps. I'd say the, the, the third one, and this is kind of that thorn in the side, but a lot, and, and this is my business, right? I literally teach teams lean and Six Sigma. I, I credential, you know, professionals all over the place. A lot of times we have the executives who are willing to invest in the training programs and the knowledge for their teams, but the executives don't do it. Mm. And so, you know, it's not enough for the exec to say, I'm your sponsor and I got your back. I literally am calling out all the execs. So if you have any execs that plug in with your show, Chris, learn, the, go through the same training programs as your teams. Go to the projects, be a part of the projects with your team members. Like it's not enough to just be the sponsor and sign off. I want you engaged, plugged in. I, you know, we have to get more executives doing this. And then I think the the culture for quality, for quality improvement, for excellence, right? That's that's the catchphrase that we use all across healthcare. But I just in my my opinion, um, I don't think we have enough executives doing the work. They're signing off their supportive, which is a great start. Now I need you in the game, you know, the head coach, right? I need the coach on the field. You don't get to sit up in the box. (laughs) I love that analogy. I, when I first started learning it, I got my green belt and I thought Mm -hmm. I was like a uh, um, health improvement warrior with my green belt um, and then began a black belt and then ended up leaving that position. So I couldn't finish the program, but I think you're right. I mean, as executive leaders, a lot of times we feel like it's our job to sponsor, right? And there's certain um, attributes to sponsoring uh, different types of programs and, you know, different types of initiatives. But when you're not there physically doing the work and you have some skin in the game and you show this is important enough for me to stop what I'm doing and to engage and do it with you. Um, I think, you know, you're right. It just shows a totally different level of commitment. And then people can't BS you. They can't be like, oh, yeah, well, we did ABCD things like you've done it. So you can say, OK, well, show me X, Y and Z. And so I think you are absolutely correct around involving more executives in, into that. And I can see from the executive perspective how, you know, Lean Six Sigma training is not short. Like it's not a one day thing. You know, it's so it's a huge investment in their time. But I think just realizing the value of it. And, you know, I think it's like even beyond quality improvement sometimes. That's even looking at like research, right? Like research takes like 25 years to implement. And so if we had more executives that were more interested in evidence-based and this quality improvement, I think. And it's not like when I say interested, it's like, yeah, it's one of our strategic plans, but I mean, like it's the number one, right? The number one is not, uh, you know, finance or whatever. The number one is that everything else kind of falls into place. Your customer satisfaction will fall into place. Your quality will fall into place. Your finance will fall into place. So I think sometimes we just have our priorities in the, in the wrong spot, not intentionally. I think that's just the way that you're developed as an executive. Yeah, I love that. Well, and it's interesting, too, because, you know, a couple of things you just shared, but that connection, you know, quality improvement and then research, 
they're all founded on the same principles, which is the scientific method. So those two alone, they are, I mean, they're cousins. They're right there connected to each other. But um, another, you know, another tidbit, if nothing else, like I said, I, I, hopefully, you know, your, your audience is already in tune with, you know, all of the mindsets of an executive or, or emerging executives. Um, the other thing that I'll leave with, too, is the mindset that when we talk about lean and Six Sigma quality improvement, it's actually connected to your strategy. So if you all have projects that are going on across the organization that don't align with your strategy, literally a one-for-one relationship with strategy, cut it, right? And then the flip side is that every project going on related to strategy, how does strategy get implemented? It gets implemented through projects. Projects like this is either improving something or implementing something brand new, but it's still going to be done in, you know, with the same or similar methodology, same tools, probably the same people, because that's why my personal background is so diverse is because I get to be the guy jumping on strategy projects. I get the guy jumping on improvement projects, but your strategy and your quality improvement programs, they're connected. And so quality improvement really is the execution of your strategic plan. If you look at that, look at it like that, you have no choice but to be involved from the executive seat and then making sure it connects to all the folks that report up to you. Yeah, for sure. We can't just delegate that to our quality folks. Like the the quality of an entire facility cannot rest with one or a department of individuals. So yeah, that's everybody's responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Talking about like different quality projects, what has been your favorite quality project that you've ever worked on? Like what was it and why was it so fun? You're like, wait a minute, let me think. My favorite. Yeah, my favorite. So I'd say perhaps my favorite is my fa- is my very first one, which, you know, maybe two or three months after I started, after I first got into healthcare, n- knew nothing about healthcare, right? <laughs> I had an, a project in the emergency department and it was around improving patient satisfaction. And so I come in and we start doing all of those detailed steps as I laid it out. And the first thing that I learned is that this patient static project is also a patient throughput project. So it changed and kind of the dynamics changed. We changed with it, but we um, achieved our goal. We went from, I want to say about a 10 and a half hour length of stay down to about a four hour length of stay Wow! and in a matter of weeks. Oh my double. Wow. Yeah. And the fun part was that our patient sat scores tanked. (laughs) <laughs> really? They got bad? They, oh, they, they got bad. Yeah. So, you know, my first learning was that you can over-engineer a project. And so when I, you know, we, the team that I worked with, we put all these stops in place. We literally had to back off of some of them. And we, we took the times, the wait times from about four and a half hours up to about six. And then the scores went through the roof. But we also added in more components around patient experience, patient satisfaction. Um, so again, engineer in healthcare for the first time, I am the master of all my technical tools. I didn't appreciate all the touchy feely human stuff, the human (laughs) aspects. Right. Um, so I learned a lot, um, for that team. When I first came in, I was the project manager and I was cracking whips and, you know, (laughs) this goes here, we're doing that. And, you know, just taking control and the senior um, nurse manager in that department, Literally, our first meeting, she's like, hey, new guy, sit down. (laughs) And so 
you know, I, I sat down and I was like, okay, you know, we, we do sit down meetings. And she <laughs> took over and she just, you know, she took control of the team. And then after that, she and I um, had a one-on-one and she was like, hey, new guy, this is, this is how we do it. And she was like, take the time, know the people, learn the process, walk in their shoes, put on some scrubs, take your tie off, put on some scrubs. And so I did all of that. You know, it was an extreme learning experience for me personally, but we still found success. Had a had a run in with a physician who came in and to one of our project meetings and he's throwing things all over the place. And I literally and I came from construction, you know, electric utilities <laughs> and construction. So it's a guy's environment like you don't disrespect people. Right. And so I looked at this physician. I was like, excuse me, sir, why are you being an a-hole? Um, <laughs> you know, not knowing hospital culture. Like, I didn't know you're supposed to respect the physicians. You couldn't talk to them like that. Uh, we have such an honest conversation to this day. I think we're best friends, right? You know, like I, I could still call him up and talk to him and ask questions. But um, you talk about icebreakers, right? That that was a new <laughs> way to frame a relationship. But, you know, the insights he shared, why he was acting the way he was acting, not that it was right or wrong. But um, again, for me, it was just such an extreme learning for my first healthcare project. A lot of emotions went into it, but we still found success. And that feels good. You know, for all of my leaders listening now, when you do these projects and you find success, you know, you're getting patients and people through your organization faster, safer, happier. Oh, it's a drug. You know, you, you want to do another project and find more success and more success. So that that's that's the business of process improvement. Um, you get the full roller coaster of emotions, of skills. You're going to build a lot of skills, facilitation, project management negotiation skills, like you'll build that on one project. So that was the first thing that I did when I got into healthcare. And here I am, you know, 14 years later, I haven't opened up my scuba shop or anything yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that you crafted it so beautifully around just the experience. What would you say, you know, just kind of looking back at that time as a new PM, what would you say to folks that are maybe not in leadership roles? Or even students, I have students that are just like, well, I'm just a student. Like, what would you tell them around how they can get involved in quality at wherever it is that they're working or even outside, even in their communities? Yeah, you know, the big takeaway, like we already said, um, quality is everybody's responsibility. So you can't cop out and, you know, it's not I'm just a, you know, I'm just a nurse. I'm just a student. I'm just a, you know, I'm just a intern on rotation through this department. Once you're in the hospital you're in. Actually, I had a mentor share with me, Chris, that from the time you leave your house in the morning to the time you get home, you have to be on, right? Because you can go to your local grocery market and see the people you work with. You can see the patients who are in your facility or the family members you cross paths within the hallway, right? So um, that's the first mindset is just know that your personal definition for quality, how we started the show, it, it, applies to everything you do. Um, accepting that is the first part from there. I'd say just get more training. When it comes to quality improvement, you don't have to get certified, but I think the certification process takes you through the rigor of learning and it will absolutely bolster your resume and your credentials long-term. But from there, get certified and do some projects. At the end of the day, that's where I was going ultimately volunteer to help out on a project. I guarantee you, even in these COVID times, there are still some projects going on across every facility. Probably even more now, right? With the way COVID's kind of disrupting everything. 
Well, especially as we transition, hopefully, out of it, um, I'm anticipating the projects are going to be astronomical. But, um, yeah, volunteer if you're not already doing it on a formal basis. Um, To your question, even in the communities, I mean, put on a webinar. Like, go read a book on quality improvement, how to process map, and then do a webinar and teach somebody. Like, if you can't actually do then go teach it and you will still gain the expertise over time. Um, you will also just gain that cultural mindset to apply these skills to everything you're doing. So, so yeah, there's, I'll say it like this quality requires engagement. It requires energy. Like you can't just learn, you have to apply. So. Wow. That is fantastic information. Fantastic um, advice. I, I really love, it. I wish I had gotten that advice when I started my nursing career, because I'm telling you, it took, getting into a formal leadership role before I really understood it all. Now, um, Jarvis, you host a podcast as well. You host a poly, uh, quality podcast. Tell us what the name of that is and where people can find it. Yeah, um, it's called the Healthcare Quality Cast. And we are pushing almost two years. We're about a month away from two years. And that is on everything. Apple, Stitcher, Google, Pot. Oh, shucks. I'm forgetting all the different platforms. Basically, <laughs> Radio, yeah, everything. Yeah, uh, everything <laughs> is on all the different shows, um, uh, podcast hosting platforms, podcast addict. But, um, you know, the entire foundation of that show, Chris, is that we are looking to tell the different stories related to leadership, to quality improvement. So it's a chance to plug in with some really inspiring, engaging leaders to hear their story of their career paths their mindset for leading in healthcare. Chris, thank you for also offering to be a future guest. So I look forward to that conversation. Absolutely. I think it's, is it tomorrow or the next day? Yep. Uh, tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're, we're on fire with these. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it was something that I started as an idea, just playing around. You know, I had just gotten into podcasts a couple of years ago, went to a few conferences and I was like, you know, what if we could keep the conversations going? And so here we are two years later, keeping the conversation going. So it's, it's been a fun journey, but um, it's a really good show. I, and I, I know I'm the host, but I still listen to it like a listener. Like even after I publish an episode, I still listen. So yeah, there's always a ton of valuable stuff that your guests bring you and, you know, we can't remember all of it. So going back through and going back through it as a podcaster too, is kind of like the, you get the fun of like reliving the podcast interview because um, they're always so fun and you always learn something new. If folks are looking to find out more about you, where can they find you? Um, the the place that I live on the internet is LinkedIn. So please um, feel free to reach out or connect on LinkedIn. Um, I'm very, very active. I'm always posting you know, information about the podcast, information about the training programs that I run, information just about improvement in general. So I'm slowly starting to get into blogging. So I'm trying to post blogs on there too. So, yeah. All right. Are you on Clubhouse yet? No, I, I, someone was just asked me that a few days ago and I was like, what is Clubhouse? <laughs> okay, listeners, by the time you're listening to this, he'll be on Clubhouse. We, we got his back. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So I, I have something else to learn, but um, I'm open to it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're looking for him on LinkedIn, he can be found at Jarvis Gray, J-A-R-V-I-S-G-R-A-Y, Jarvis Gray on LinkedIn. Or... And a whole bunch of titles and credentials after that. So <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> Well, I've had an amazing time. You have definitely give us uh, something to think about around quality for where it is that we're working. Thanks uh, so much for the recording. I loved it. 
No, thank you for the opportunity, Chris. I can't wait to uh, get the payback on my show. So thank you. <laughs> I got you back. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. 